This is a podcast by the Business Times. Welcome to Property BT, a new podcast series by the Business Times. I'm senior correspondent Leslie Yi, and I'll be your host as we gather insights on all things Singapore property to help you in your property investment journey. Today, we look at what is happening with Singapore's private residential property market post the property cooling measures of December 16, 2021, and the impact on the residential on-block market. I was in year-end clearing leave, preparing for Christmas mode when last December's property cooling measures were announced. Among the measures was raising additional buyer stamp duty, or ABSD, that is levied on the purchase price of a home by between 5 to 15 percentage points for all buyers except Singapore citizens and permanent residents buying their first home. Has it been all doom and gloom for Singapore homes post the cooling measures? Let's hear from Christine Sun, Senior Vice President of Research and Analytics at Orange Tea and Thai. The cooling measures implemented in December had quite an impact on the private residential market. The URA price index for private residential homes showed that prices grew at a much slower pace last quarter while sales fell by more than 30% quarter-on-quarter. The drop in sales did not come as a surprise because there is usually a knee-jerk reaction after each round of cooling measures. If we look at in terms of different types of sales, new home sales seems to be more affected as the volumes dipped by almost 40% in the first quarter of this year when compared to the fourth quarter of last year. Comparatively, resales slipped around 30%. Sales dipped more significantly for new sales as developers were holding back their sales launches during the Chinese New Year period. Some also needed more time to assess the market reaction to cooling measures or to refine their marketing strategies. Therefore, a dip in launch units will usually translate to lesser sales. In terms of market segment, private home sales in the suburbs or outside central region saw the lowest decline. More than 2,500 private homes, excluding ECs, were sold last quarter despite the cooling measures. So the strong demand could be attributed to many HDB upgraders who continue to buy private homes after selling their flats. Many of these buyers were not affected by cooling measures. They have sold their flats, rented elsewhere, and therefore they are not subjected to the ABSD since they no longer hold any properties. As a result of the strong demand for mass market homes, prices of non-landed homes in the outside central region rose further by 2.2%, although prices dipped across the other market segments last quarter. This market segment is likely to strengthen further since demand will continue to outstrip supply this year. Interesting observations from Christine that resale volume was more adversely impacted in the new sale market as compared to the resale market. Also, outside central region or the suburbs is doing just fine. Christine points to the strength of private housing demand from HDB upgraders. HDB resale prices are strong. Some new home buyers who cannot secure a suitable flat directly from the HDB or want an HDB flat to move into fairly quickly are driving demand for HDB resale flats. Some HDB flat owners can sell their units quickly and profitably and recycle their funds into buying private condominium units in the suburbs. For such private home buyers who are citizens and are making their first private home purchase, no ABSD is payable. It is not surprising that sales of new homes slow post the property cooling measures. Both developers and home buyers may after all need time to digest the new measures and generally adopt somewhat of a wait-and-see attitude. How quickly and strongly will volume rebound? Let's hear from Lanet Tay, Head Research, 
Knight Frank Singapore. In the past four months or so, the market has, to an extent, reacted in the same fashion when cooling measures were last announced in 2018. In mid 2018, for about two quarters or so, the private residential price index remained near zero or went down a little bit before the index started to regain positive momentum. However, the situation now is different compared to 2018. There is now a lot more organic ground demand from buyers who are purchasing for their own use, and this demand is working at most levels of the housing market. So this time round, it might not be six months before buyer demand re-establishes itself. It might just be a quarter and maybe a little bit more. There is every chance demand will come back sooner rather than later, especially when there is a launch that captures public attention. Indeed, positive momentum may be returning in new home sales. The launch of Piccadilly Grand, a joint residential project in the city fringe by City Developments and MCL Land, in early May, did well. 315 out of a total of 407 units, or 77% of units, were sold at the launch weekend at an average price of 2,150 Singapore dollars per square foot. Some 90% of the buyers are Singapore citizens, while the remaining are permanent residents and foreigners. Leonard highlights the strength of demand from home buyers buying homes for their own use. Perhaps the COVID-19 pandemic has increased the desire for many to have their own homes and to invest more to get a larger home or a higher quality one. Sure, some of us may be going back to the office more with Singapore's opening up and resuming business or leisure travel. But many people are still working from home at times and doing plenty of activities from the comfort of home. If the suburbs are doing fine, what about prime areas? Or the core central region, what is happening to sales of homes with hefty price tags? Let's hear from Tyson Yu, Associate Group Director, Propnext Singapore. The impact of the cooling measures has dampened the property demand by almost 40 percent month to month on average since last year December. Now, based on the 40 percent decrease, we want to know that who is still buying and who has dropped out. So to answer this question, we want to see which segment or which class of purchaser is least affected or most affected by the cooling measures. So according to the URA Real Estate Information System, I find that CCR is least affected by the cooling measures, and the price range of property from 10 million and above is also. Least affected by the cooling measures. Where else? RCR, rest of core central region, with the price range of five to ten mil, are most affected by the cooling measures. So we can say that the uh, ultra rich are still buying. The segment of CCR luxury is still in demand. Now, when we talk about foreign purchaser, it's interesting to find out that last year. November before the cooling measures, they account for 17% of the properties purchased. And this year, based on February, March, and April, they account for almost 20%. So there's an increase of foreign purchaser in percentage, and we can say that foreigner is still buying. I suppose Singapore is attractive to the ultra-rich in a world of much turmoil. 
infrastructure is good, the Singapore dollar is strong and regulations are sound. There is political stability and social cohesion. In sum, Singapore is a safe haven for the wealthy to put millions of dollars to work in buying a high-end home. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. We have talked about how the private residential market here slowed down post the property cooling measures. But the market has shown signs of resilience, with demand coming from HDB upgraders and buyers buying for owner occupation. Projects with strong attributes are able to chalk up healthy sales in spite of tough policy measures. In Singapore, supply of land comes from government land sales, where appetite still appears strong based on evidence to date, as well as from on-block sales, where appetite for residential sites may be waning. On-block residential sales typically involve the collective sale of old condominium or apartment developments that are possibly 20 years old or more. Strata owners of the individual units sell the whole of an existing development to a developer who will develop a new project on the site that is acquired. I had opined that there's still hope for residential on-block hopefuls post-cooling measures and that large sites can still succeed. After all, developers have deep pockets to fund developments with gross development value of a few billion dollars and a developer can produce a project with more wow factor on a large site. My view on large residential on-block sites may be a contrarian one. Let's hear from Nicholas Mark, Head of Research and Consultancy, ERA Real Estate. There is definitely still hope for residential on-block sales because for real estate developers, the main source of buying land from the private housing market is actually through on-block sales. However, from the developer's perspective, buying a very large and aging residential development through an on-block sale is fraught with risks and challenges. The developer must commit a large sum of capital and take up a huge loan for the acquisition and development of this project. Since the project is very big, the whole development period can take longer than the usual four to five years. During the development period, the developer has to face market risk and economic risk. There could be an economic downturn or change in government policies during this development period which may have an adverse impact on the development. In addition, if the land tenure of the aging development is 99-year leasehold, the developer would have to pay the government a huge fee to top up the lease back to a fresh 99 years. One of the biggest impediments that deter property developers from buying large residential on-block sales that cost more than, say, $800 million each is the Additional Buyer Stamp Duty, or ABSD for short. The ABSD for companies and developers currently stands at 35% of the value of the residential property. For developers, it comes with a 5 years ABSD deadline whenever they buy land for development. The developer must build and sell all the residential units in that development within five years from the date that he buys the land. Otherwise, you have to pay the government a huge fee. The five years ABSD deadline applies to residential developments of every size, from a small 24 units apartment block to a 1,000 units condominium projects. Regardless of the size, it's still a five years deadline. Therefore, the bigger the development, the higher the risk that the developer may not be able to meet the ABSD deadline. 
As a result, developers would avoid these larger projects. And some examples of the very large residential development that face challenges in their on-block sales include Bradleview, Mandarin Gardens and Pine Grove. The government has increased the ABSD rates with every successive round of cooling measures since 2013. It is like putting another millstone round the necks of these larger developments with every new round of cooling measures. Not every homeowner in an ageing development wants a successful on-block sale. Indeed, some attempts at on-block sales can result in neighbours feuding. Perhaps some homeowners of plum sites such as Bradleview, Mandarin Gardens and Pine Grove who want to stay on in their homes and are not lured by potential profit from an on-block sale will be happy if Nicholas is spot on in arguing that developers would find such sites far too risky to take on. Living in ageing apartments though can at times be problematic if things start breaking down and unit owners find it difficult to agree on what needs to be fixed. At times, an on-block sale is a pragmatic solution. Nicholas has suggestions that can help increase the chances of successful on-block sales of large, ageing residential developments. The government should help these large and ageing developments in their redevelopment or on-block sales because they face challenges that other developments do not face. There's a few ways the government can help. First, since these developments are three to five times larger than the typical modern condominium projects, the government should give these projects longer ABSD deadline, such as eight to even ten years. Secondly, the government can help the residents or owners of this development to divide out the large land parcel into two or three separate land parcels so that each land parcel is more acceptable or digestible for the typical developer. However, dividing up a large development into different land parcels can create other problems and challenges as well. The type of on-block sale or land parcel that major developers would prefer is one that can be developed into a 300 to 500 units residential non-landed development. Could the government take up some of Nicholas' suggestions? Land is a scarce resource here and the government does actively work to ensure the optimal use of land. I believe big developers in town should seriously look at attractive large on-block sites. Risks are high but a large site gives more scope to create a great product. And my sense is that buyers who are buying homes for owner occupation will place a large premium on buying in a top-class development, produce a high-quality development and the demand will be there. There is resilience in Singapore's private home market, but growth in home prices has been nipped by the cooling measures. Pace of sales is also less frantic than in 2021. Home buyers today are confronted with higher interest rates on home loans, and home loans may become even more expensive going forward. There's also the risk of slowing economic growth in major economies that will affect Singapore. The market has become a tougher one for developers to sell their inventory. What should developers do to drive sales? Let's hear again from Knight Frank's Leonard Tay. Developers might not have to do anything that they have not done in the past to attract buyers as there is pent-up demand of buyers that will likely materialise in the course of 2022, possibly sooner rather than later. In the end, it will be more about the attributes of the project such as location and proximity to amenities and transport nodes. Hmm, 
possibly no luck then for would-be house hunters hoping to get a discount from a developer or sweeteners such as better furnishings and fittings. If you're on the prowl for a new home, please do your sums carefully. Test out what you can afford using higher interest rates. Singapore homes can still be good investments, especially developments with strong attributes. If you're buying a new home this year, don't expect discounts, but you will probably be better able to get your choice unit in what is a less frenzied new homes market compared with 2021. Do join us for the next episode of Property BT, where we delve into investing in strata commercial units in Singapore. And that's a wrap for this edition. I'm Leslie Yee. That was a podcast by The Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Do note, all analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast are for your general information only. You should not rely on them in making any decision. Please consult a fully qualified financial advisor or professional expert for independent advice and verification. To the fullest extent permitted by law, SPH Media shall not be liable for any loss arising from the use of or reliance on any analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast. SPH Media accepts no responsibility or liability whatsoever that may result or arise from the products, services, or information of any third parties.